Welcome back to the Injury Prone Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Edwin Porras, Dr. of Physical Therapy, Medical Analyst at FantasyPoints.com. Thanks for tuning in. Today we're going to talk about Michael Thomas, Miles Sanders, George Kittle, James Conner, Philip Lindsay, and I'm going to tell you why Biggie is the best rapper that ever lived. So, Michael Thomas, right? News came out that Michael Thomas has a high ankle sprain after the game on Sunday. He said, I'm going to try to play through it. And I tweeted out something about two weeks, about 15 days, the average return to sport time. Uh, 13% of wide receiver injuries happen, or 13% of wide receiver injuries are high ankle sprains. And it's caused by external rotation of the foot and bending of the ankle. I said, if he misses time, four to six weeks is commonly cited, but the true timeline is about 15 days, depending on the severity. And all 32 team docs agree this is an injury that lingers, right? So this is a problem for Michael Thomas. You're looking at a player who is elite, at their position, elite when it comes to volume, and elite when it comes to fantasy. So you're really in a dilemma with Michael Thomas, considering the fact that they looked at his uh, they looked at his ankle, they looked at the MRI, they looked at the physical exam, they looked at his symptoms, and they said, okay, man, you should probably sit this one out. So what do you do with Michael Thomas, right? You got a couple different options. The first option is you sit and wait. You sit and wait, and you hope that this is about 15 days. You, you only miss about two weeks of Michael Thomas. He comes back. And he produces for you. The other option is this takes longer. This takes about three, three weeks, four weeks for him to come back. They really wait on him. And you miss three or four weeks of Michael Thomas. He comes back and you still have about another two weeks of lack of production. Because typically, uh, like I said earlier in this tweet at FB Injury Doc, uh, there's a study from 2013 that all 32 team physicians agreed on. Think about that unanimously. 32, all 32 NFL team physicians unanimously. When was the last time that you, uh, that any group of people ever agreed to something unanimously? They all said that this is uh, an injury that even though it's about 15 days on average, right? Average, I'm not saying he's going to come back in 15 days. That's about average. It could be more than that. It could be less than that, right? The laws of averages, right? Basic math. The team physician said, even though it's about 15 days on average when players come back, this is an injury that lingers. They said the four to six weeks is about the time uh, that, that players continue to show deficits because of the injury. So you're sitting here, and Michael Thomas was probably your number one overall pick. You're sitting here without a number one overall pick, so you really have to make the decision on what to do. If you're sharp, you're probably holding him. Here, let me tell you if you're in a less sharp league. Do what I do. Make an offer, right? Sometimes in home leagues, you're able to make these types of offers where they're a little more casual, and maybe you can get a little more bang for your buck, right? So the guy that I just played this week has Michael Thomas, and he's a little panicky. He was his number one overall pick. So I'm looking at a player who I don't necessarily want any part of now as part of trade talks, and um, I just sort of whiffed on. I really thought that the reason OBJ wasn't good last year is because of the injury, but it seems like it's just the offense and the situation in general. But OBJ, I'm looking at OBJ, and I'm thinking, hmm, name brand. How much more name brand can I extract from OBJ's value. So I offered this, the owner of Michael Thomas, a trade of OBJ and I think Jarek McKinnon. And he's thinking about it. He's mulling it over. Not sure if he'll go through with it, but if you're in less sharp leagues, you might be able to do that and pull that off. OBJ was my third pick anyway. So it's not like I would be missing time for my number one overall pick. I'm just missing time for, be technically missing time for my number three overall pick. And I didn't even start him this week. So I would be fine at that position. So if you're sharper, you're probably just holding on to Michael Thomas and you're riding through the storm. You're hoping that you can get by until then. Uh, if you are in less sharp leagues, you're probably offering that up. 
don't sell. I mean, I don't. It's tough to say sell Michael Thomas. Really, I know this injury is 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 uh, tough. It's brutal. Players don't come back the same. All 32 team docs agree that they don't come back the same. But it's really tough to sell him. You're just gonna have to write it out. It's part of fantasy football. That's what happens. So that's it on Michael Thomas. Another pass catcher that we're gonna talk about by the name of George Kittle is causing quite a few headaches. Right, George Kittle, a tight end who is elite at the position, elite at the yak. Elite in fantasy, elite in all he does, is a freak of nature athlete, even by NFL standards, is and is probably a staple of your fantasy football lineup. Hyperextended his knee last week. Super. I know that I've been seeing on Twitter people saying this is like this is a vague injury. Is there any more you can add? To be honest, no. It's a vague injury because it's a vague injury. This could be a potential bone bruise. This could be a potential PCL strain. This could be a potential hamstring strain. I mean, it's just a very broad general category when you hyperextend your knee you just sort of put all the structures on stretch on shear and you don't necessarily cause damage per se i mean you do you do cause some micro damage so but it's such a difficult injury to really pinpoint so when you think about the injury it's just vague it's something that you're just gonna have to deal with and ride through the storm now as of now george kittle says he's gonna play every player says they're gonna play um that's not really something that I put a lot of stock into. But when it comes to George Kittle, the dude is insane, right? He's missing two screws, and he has another one loose. He's played through a shoulder labrum. He's played through, apparently, microfractures in his ankle. He's played through a calf strain last year. He played through a groin strain. The reality about George Kittle is that zooming out of this, of this injury, you, I just wonder how much risk tolerance you really have. I mean... He's really the cream of the crop when it comes to tolerating that uh, injury risk. I wouldn't necessarily say get rid of George Kittle. I wouldn't necessarily say sell high on George Kittle. I'm just really looking at him and and thinking to myself that at some point, something's got to give. You can't have a shoulder labrum tear, you know, a tear of the labrum and groin strains and ankle fractures and not eventually have something start to wear down. Just a thought. Again, you're you're probably holding George Kittle. Uh, I think that just based on his history, he'll be good to go for Sunday. And since it's since he'll be good to go, it's hard to say don't start him. Um, but as of now, without any injury reports, without any practice reports, without anything else coming out of San Francisco, it seems like he's going to play. I know that they just the, the Niners just signed uh, Mohamed Sanu. But other than that, I mean, who else are they going to throw the ball to? I would, I would imagine that even if Kittle was close to not playing, they're going to try to push for him to come back this week, depending on the status of Brandon Ayuk. So, George Kittle, hold on to him. I think he'll be fine as of now without any additional information, but that's it on the hyperextended knee. Oh, gosh, a guy that's just causing headaches, left and right headaches. Miles Sanders. Let's take. Let's go through the whole saga, the Miles Sanders saga. August 19th, he was limited in practice with the, quote, lower body injury. He didn't do anything, and he's been pretty much limited since then. You get reports out of camp Basically, Doug Peterson saying, he's doing great. He's making progress. He's doing fine. We're just taking it slow. The last quote we got from Peterson, I think last week, was that Miles Sanders was doing, quote, amazing. That's what Doug Peterson said about him. Uh, all the reports out of camp are that he's fine. They don't sign another running back. They, they go ahead and truck forward with just three running backs on the roster, I think it was. And then Miles Sanders doesn't even travel the short distance to Washington. Now, here are a couple different reasons why that could have been hap- that could have happened. One, he wasn't anywhere close to actually being active. And he sat out, and they said, dude, just don't even come. But typically, you see these players actually travel, even if they're questionable. I mean, specifically if they're questionable, because 
you know, that would say that if they didn't travel at all, then they didn't even have plans um, to use that as a, as a potential leverage point or competitive advantage. They didn't even, you know, care that Washington knew that that Miles Sanders didn't travel. They just went ahead and said, don't, even though he was questionable, they just said, don't come. Now, that could be because of the COVID restrictions. That could be because they said, we don't need any more bodies, any, any, any bodies around, any more mouth breathers hanging around us. We don't need that extra risk. We don't need Miles Sanders testing or not testing positive, but having a uh, fever when they tested into the facility, checked into the facility. I don't know. That could be one, one thing that, that crossed my mind is that maybe they just didn't want him to travel because they didn't, they wanted to bring as, as few people as possible with a sharper organization like the Eagles that keep a bigger picture in mind. Generally, that could be a possibility. Another possibility that I'm really leaning towards is that he's not as fine as they've made it seem and that he just wasn't anywhere near, anywhere near where he needed to be. And that would make sense because he was limited all week in practice. He didn't practice at all. So you look at the practice reports, you want to see at least one full practice that would at least give a little bit of hope saying that he might be active on Sunday. But it just seems like what the Eagles told us all week and what they ended up doing uh, were two completely different things. And so that could be, so the two reasons basically are he didn't travel because of COVID restrictions or he didn't travel because he he wasn't anywhere close to being ready. Now that you have the Boston Scott injury, you wonder to yourself, well, is he going to be active now? He's limited all week last week. And that's where practice reports are going to come in to play again. So you're going to have to watch Miles Sanders' practice reports all week. It's been a, almost a month since this hamstring injury happened. It's so rare for hamstring injuries to be so severe that players are out this long, right? I mean, you saw Adam Thielen re-injure his hamstring. Um, and he was out for a while, right? Adam Thielen game log, if I'm Googling it real quick. I mean, Adam Thielen, granted, his situation, to our knowledge, was a little different in the sense that he hurt his hamstring, tried to come back, couldn't come back. Um, then he came back, injured it again too soon, um, and that, that, that was that. So he ended up missing, Thielen ended up missing six games total last year, which would mean he missed the one game, and then afterwards he missed five games. So he was out about a month, five weeks or so. And it's been since August 19th that Miles Sanders has been out. And that would be one, two, what is that? Three, four weeks Wednesday. So to be honest, when people say what's going on with Miles Sanders, what's your opinion with Miles Sanders? What's going to happen with Miles Sanders? I don't know. At this point, anybody's guess is you know as good as mine. The Eagles are either holding him back for a reason or they're holding them back to be overly opt, overly cautious. Uh, if Boston Scott can't go next week and they still continue to hold Sanders out or they do the unfathomable, most headbanging thing that you could think of and they sign somebody like Devontae Freeman uh, so that we can all lose our minds, that's when you know that Miles Sanders is dealing with something much deeper than just a simple hamstring strain. Uh, typically, you see players come back from these at the latest, like three weeks, 21 days. So that's where we're at with Miles Sanders. Watch the injury reports, watch practice reports, follow me on Twitter at FBInjuryDoc, go to fantasypoints.com, follow the uh, injury report, the written injury report that I have, that it gets up uh, gets updated every, uh, every day, it seems like I'm doing that. So that's it on Miles Sanders. So Philip Lindsay, right? What's going on there? 
you get reports that Philip Lindsay has a quote turf toe thing from Dr. Vic Fangio. I talked about that on the Fantasy Points podcast with Joe Dolan and Tom Broly. And I said that Dr. Vic Fangio said that Philip Lindsay has a turf toe type thing. We don't really know what that means. Turns out that Philip Lindsay is actually seeking a second opinion. So what does that mean 10 times out of 10 times when a player seeks a second opinion? It means they didn't like the first opinion. So when a player seeks out a first opinion and they don't like it, that means what? Probably wasn't good news. Now, when it comes to turf toe, it's a super finicky injury. Um, and the new reports are, by the way, uh, from Philip Lindsay, according to Tom Pilicero, that his status for week two is in doubt. And I tend to agree. There's some optimism he won't be out long is partially what they said. But anyway, back to the point. This is a super finicky injury. And if you're looking at a very specific uh, study that came out in 2019 in the Iowa Orthopedic Journal, this was a study done by Andrew Tran, Dr. Andrew Tran and, and friends. They looked at, that name sounds familiar, Andrew Tran. I'll have to look that up. Um, they looked at NFL players and turf toe. It was a relatively small sample. So take it for what it's worth. 24 injured players, 436 controls. Well, they found that the mean return to sport time was 36.7 days. Here's the zinger. The standard deviation was 29 days. So basically that means players could come back any time from eight days. They could come back after eight days. Or they could come back at 37 days, which was the average. That's about the average. Or they could come back in another, gosh, what is that? 66 days. And those were all, they're all like, they're all, you know, susceptible to come back at any point in time in that period. But the average is 37 days. You saw last year with Devontae Adams, he missed, gosh, it seemed like four or five games. I think it was four or five games after the bye week that they had with this turf toe injury. That's because grade twos typically are the most painful and they show damage on MRI. You have to let that damage heal. You have to let the symptoms come back to normal. The promise, the, the problem with turf toe is if you touch the bottom of your foot, touch the bottom of your toe, your big toe, uh, there's a, a ligamentous complex there. So just a, a, a ton of ligaments that sort of protect the bottom side of your foot. Uh, they are the ligaments work to uh, to hold the, the the bones in place. And what happens is you get a hard, compressive, axial compression downwards onto the foot, and you damage those those ligaments. And it's impossible to literally even push off your toe when you're walking because of the pain. So you have to give this time to heal. It, it's just there's no way around it. You can't increase tissue. It doesn't, mean, it doesn't matter how much ultrasound you do. It doesn't matter how much e-stim you do. It doesn't matter how much cryotherapy you do. You cannot increase healing time you know I've, I've had questions about prp injections uh plasma rich platelet injections i haven't seen a ton of great literature showing evidence that that's any better than placebo so moving on the point here with philip Lindsay is that uh, considering this fact that he's getting a second opinion you don't love that i would expect to be without philip Lindsay at least this week and maybe moving forward i mean this might be melvin gordon's time to shine uh, it just depends how severe this injury is, but considering they're already, you know, saying that his week two status is in doubt, I would watch his his practice reports. But I would expect to be without Philip Lindsay for the foreseeable future because of turf toe. <sighs> we meet again, James Conner. James Conner was held out pretty much the entire game after the first quarter on Monday night. I am. 
pessimistic at this point, but genuinely hopeful that this is a short-term thing. The Steelers have came out and said they didn't think it was a big deal. They don't think it's a big. The ankle injury is a big deal. Um, and he also was able to stay on sideline the whole game, so that's a plus. And that makes me think that uh, lateral ankle sprain is the culprit here. I'd have to go back and watch the all twenty-two, but to be, you know, I guess to sort of play the guessing game based off of the reports and based off of the types of injuries that are common among running backs. I wouldn't be surprised that if it was a, a lateral ankle sprain. Now, lateral ankle sprain typically takes about six days for players to recover from. Uh, that's the average timeline for NFL players. They can come back usually after a week. You saw Joe Mixon last week come back in week two after an ankle injury. Um, didn't perform the best. Didn't have as many snaps, I remember, but came back and played nonetheless. You just, it's just, it's just, For me, I want him to succeed so badly based off my profession, based on what I do. I want him to be successful. I don't want him to be injured anymore. I mean, obviously, nobody wants James Conner to be healthy more than James Conner, of course. Um, But I can the frustration that he's got to be feeling is just out of this world because he's got all of these connective tissue injuries, right? And connective tissue injuries, connective tissue I've gone over before, it's basically, for our purposes, cartilage and ligaments. That's what connective tissue is for our purposes, cartilage and ligaments. When he came in as a rookie, he had surgery on his knee, and I've talked about this before. He had surgery on his MCL. Less than 5% of collegiate athletes coming out of college have surgery for an MCL. The MCL usually you know, reco- recovers on its own, rehabs on its, it, it, it fixes itself uh, because of the blood flow that, to that area, and he needed surgery. That's one connective tissue injury. Played in his... The next year, he, he filled in for Le'Veon Bell, was doing fantastic. Had another contact, connective tissue injury, high ankle sprain. Okay, so we're starting to raise our eyebrows a little bit. Then last year, plays in, you know, however many games and sprains his AC joint. Well, guess what holds the AC joint together? Ligament, connective tissue. This was also a contact injury. So he's got three connective tissue injuries and three injuries that are due to contact. Well, what's one of the job duties, Job? what's in the job description? The number one thing on the job description for a running back. Take contact and not get injured. We've talked about this ad nauseum. We've talked about the potential of what radiation and, and, and his treatments could have potentially done to his tissues. There's no way to actually know. But what we know now with the fourth connective tissue injury is that his connective tissues seem to be in the upper body and the lower body compromised constantly due to his role in the NFL. Will he come back next week? I don't know. Will the Steelers take time, extra time for him to recover? I don't know. Um, Benny Snell was doing fine, it seemed. Uh, but I'd have to go back and watch again. I'd have to watch all 22 to know specifically what's going on with James Conner and what happened to his ankle. As of now, I guess I'm just holding on. If you have him, you got to hold on to him, right? Nobody's going to take him at this point. So hold on to James Conner for now. Now, some of you that have followed me for the over a year now know how much of a hip hop and rap uh, fan I am. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I know every 
you know, historical figure in hip hop and rap to a T. I'm not going to say that I know every, you know, iconic discography that exists. Um, I just can appreciate the art. I can separate the art from the people, from the messages. Um, and I like it. I think rap and hip hop get a really bad rap for the lyrics when in reality, other genres like country, I mean, let's be honest, country music, if you, if you read the lyrics to a lot of the songs, when it's, especially when it's, when they're written, when the songs are written by dudes, I mean, they have some creepy vibes, man. Creepy vibes. I mean, I don't even know what song I could give you as an example. Um, I won't even get into it. I mean, there's a song called, you know, Body Like a Back Road. Creepy vibes in that song. You can't say it's not creepy. So it's just a little more undertonish. Then you look at, I mean, 80s rock. There are stories of Ozzy Osbourne and his group and all the other dudes that were just nuts drug drug doing party animals alcoholic nut jobs in these hotel rooms that they'd leave wrecked they'd leave their hotel rooms wrecked they were party animals they were they were um you know and i'm sure i mean every every genre does this but they were just as guilty as having you know inappropriate i would say um relationships with fans and and you'd hear stories of of people literally feces on the walls after their parties i mean some some real depraved shit that you hear coming from rock bands from the 80s especially um and i'm not saying rap and hip-hop are exempt from crazy stuff i'm not saying that rap and hip-hop are exempt from uh, any type of of bad behavior of inappropriate behavior i'm not saying that what i am saying is that every genre has that and for whatever reason you know you can make the guess as to why maybe potentially uh, for whatever reason, hip-hop and rap get singled out as this bad genre that's bad for teens. And, I mean, Eminem came and took a bat to the whole thing uh, in the early 2000s when he was uh, sort of breaking down the racial barriers and the whole deal. You can talk about that as long, you know, as, as, as ad nauseum. You can talk about that forever. Here's my point. 90s rap and hip-hop does not get enough credit for being as good as it is. And the number one rapper from that era unequivocally, 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 it's late. I'm tired. I don't know. Is Biggie Smalls notorious B.I.G.? Yes, you can talk about Tupac, who in all reality, he was more of a, of a visionary. He was a revolutionary. He was a guy that came and pushed the envelope forward on a lot. Of, he was not perfect, imperfect messenger, but had a lot of good, smart things to say um, in his time, you know, in the in the limelight. You can talk about especially somebody who didn't get enough time, big pun, really, really good artist um, um, for the Latin community specifically. You also have Naughty by Nature. I mean, Naughty by Nature had some bangers. All of the, I mean, all of these groups and these rappers, um, and obviously you have some of the OGs in rap and hip hop in general, it's gangster rap, uh, obviously NWA, but when it comes to legitimate lyricism, legitimate flow, legitimate... Uh, storytelling and the ability to just use the music to your advantage and you leverage that with your words biggie smalls is unmatched and this isn't just romanticizing a guy who died too early that was a tragedy obviously but even if he would have just retired after his last album 
there are still people who argue, and some pretty smart people in the hip-hop community, who would argue that Biggie Smalls is the best rapper, one of the best rappers that, that legitimately ever lived. It was all a dream. I used to read Word Up magazine, Salt and Pepper and Heavy D up in the limousine, hanging pictures on the wall. Every Saturday, Rap Attack, Mr. Magic Marley Mall. I mean, those are some good lyrics. And then if you look at Juicy, the song, and the story behind it, is it is it romanticized? Yes. Are there some metaphors in there? Yes. But he is literally talking about his life from rags to riches. If you watch the, mo- the movie Notorious, it's actually a pretty good, at least from my understanding, it's a pretty good representation of Biggie Smalls' life uh, leading up to his death. And it's one of my favorite movies because it's cool. I mean, first of all, it's a good movie. But it really does a good job of describing where Biggie came from, how he got to where he is, and then obviously, you know, talked about his death or showed his death. Um, it's a good movie. You should watch it. I recommend it. I mean, born sinner, opposite of a winner. Remember when I used to eat sardines for dinner? This art, man. Dude is spitting some straight bars, as the kids say. We used to fuss when the landlord dissed us. No heat, wonder why Christmas missed us. Birthdays were the worst days, and now we sip champagne when we thirsty. Damn right I like the life I live because I went from negative to positive and it's all... Anyway, that's my spiel on hip-hop rap and Biggie Smalls, R.I.P. If you guys haven't seen the movie Notorious, you should go see it. Good luck in week two. Let me know if you have any questions.